Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate listeners on product, industry, and best practices to build a great customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got a great guest today for you, co-founder and COO of One Signal, Long Bo. Long founded One Signal along with George Deglin, originally as a mobile games studio called HipTech Games in 2011. Long has a long career as an artist, specifically doing games art, where he was a co-founder of Guy Interactive in the 2000s, and is really well known for his work on the Street Fighter series in the 2000s as well. I'm excited to speak with Long about his experiences and successes in the 2000s, which led to Hiptic and the evolution of where we are now at OneSignal. We appreciate you joining us today, Long. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Josh. So let's just jump right in. You're a Bay Area native, attended Cal, and then transferred to Academy of Art. What led you to art? Uh, Good question. I think my parents always expected me to be a doctor or a scientist and not a quote unquote starving artist, so to speak. (laughs) I grew up in the 80s and it was hard not to be amazed at the amount of artistry that went into every bits of media, whether it be comic books, animated TV shows, uh, movies or video games. I think I've always had the desire to delight people in the same way that I was delighted growing up. That's cool. And so that's a natural sort of transition or segue into the into games as well and video games and, and mobile games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, you know, no matter like what industry you're in, that you should always take advantage of the skill sets that you have. I started in corporate in graphic design, designing internal websites and collateral for IBM. And that gave me a good window into digital art because I was able to utilize all kinds of technology that wasn't readily available to most people to create art and design. It's really amazing to me that these tools are now readily available to an eight-year-old in the form of like a mobile phone or an iPad. I think uh, you also know that I'm a, I'm a huge gamer. I think I own every gaming console since the original NES back in the 1983. So I think I've always wanted to make games, again, because of that same desire to delight others the same way I was delighted playing so many cool video games growing up. I think I've been fortunate in my career in art that, you know, it's connected me with opportunities to work on game-related projects, like you mentioned before with Street Fighter. And so I think I've always jumped on those opportunities when I was given the chance to. That's cool. And it's a great place and time to grow up in this area as well, with so many of the great games being built, originating here. I still remember the old Atari. Yeah. Let's jump into the One Signal component here. What led to the starting HipTech? Yeah, so, you know, George and I started Hiptic Games because we were trying to find a a good synergy between our skill sets. I think that's where it always starts. I've had a a long, varied career in art production, having worked on video games and movie productions and various design projects for companies like Marvel, DC, Disney, Warner Brothers, etc. And, you know, and George was trying to work on a project in the entertainment space at the time uh, because he had a good, you know, startup stint in the education space. So this was during a time when mobile was really taking off. And so we naturally, we just decided to get into mobile gaming to make the most of our skill sets. And that went on for a couple of years. What led to really focusing on the engagement part of the mobile game studio? Yeah, you know, so all of the games that we built, they were featured on iTunes or the Google Play stores. So we knew that we were always capable of building visually striking and compelling games. You know, we'd have this great initial push with a ton of downloads and things like that. But the nature of mobile games requires constant re-engagement in order to be successful. As George was looking into this, uh, he found that push notifications were often the drivers for re-engagement. And the more research that we did, the more that we found that the available options were either too hard to implement, uh, didn't support the production environment that we used, or were just too expensive for any independent studio to really make use of. When we asked others in the development community, we quickly realized that this was also a pain point for them, and we knew we were onto something. That's cool. 
And I told a little bit more varied story on that. So it's good to get the actual true founding story. <laughs> Let's take a moment to reflect on kind of the experiences that you had, say at Gaia Interactive to now. When you think about that the evolution, what comes to mind? Yeah, so Gaia was this unique environment. Everything that you did had an instant impact with its audience. Um, for those not familiar with Gaia, Gaia was one of the first social gaming sites that had a virtual economy built into it. Our goal with Gaia was to, you know, also like make sure that everyone loved everything that we did. We had to live as one of our users. But to that end, we made sure that no developer had any advantage in the game's economy. We'd have to earn every bit of virtual currency and participate in the same events that our users did. And, and I truly believe that's how we're able to grow the community and the site in a way that's honest, genuine, and it's also in service of our users. I believe we took the same approach with one signal, you know, becoming an independent game developer. It really informed our developer-centric approach. A question on Guy I've always had is, did you see Second Life as a competitor or is that very different? Yeah, so that's <laughs> interesting you bring that up. Second Life to me always felt like they put too many hurdles for you to interact with people. You know, they were always built on this idea of like, oh, we can have this virtual workspace where everyone kind of shows up and does things. But why would you want to go into a virtual space to log onto a computer, to open a web browser in that virtual space to surf the internet? It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. The point of the whole internet is to have these, you know, quick interactions, easy to find information, do things really quickly and efficiently, right? So they always were going for that big angle. I think the difference with Gaia was that at least the founders really understood that Gaia was more so an MMO in a way, a massive multiplayer online game. And we were always pressured by investors to kind of move towards this more social gaming element or social network element. But I think it really was a unique experience that you had experienced in that moment. And if had we stuck with that and created other experiences, I think it would have like kept going. That's cool. Yeah, I had experience with both and we've talked about this. It is interesting to think about the variances. And, and Second Life, I, I agree, was there was a lot to do in there. It was cumbersome. Like you, it was a big investment, it felt like. Yeah, it was a ghost town too. I mean, if you ever logged on to there, you would be walking through this virtual environment with no one around you. And uh, yeah, it just goes to show that. I think like it just was a pretty inefficient way to interact on the web. Yeah. Good transition to the, the culture side. You've not followed a traditional path in terms of a culture leader, but I felt like in, in our experiences working together almost two years, you're really natural at it. And you've been natural in terms of building this empathetic, meritocratic culture. How do you think of company culture? Yeah, thanks. Um, it does mean a lot to me that everyone at One Signal feels heard and respected. I think it all comes back to how I was raised, to be honest. My mother always instilled in me empathy for others. You know, as a company scales, it gets harder and harder to have uh, more of a personal touch with each person. But, you know, I think no matter how large company gets, we shouldn't lose empathy for one another. I'm not fond of any environment where people tear each other down rather than build each other up. And uh, I'll do my best to make sure that everyone in the company feels supported to the best of my ability. And I, I have to say, I appreciate that. I think most of the employees that I've talked to or engaged with see that in the interview process. And obviously, when you get inside, you, you see it. And nothing's ever perfect, but I, I appreciate that. When you think about your approach, though, how is the experiences in the past, whether it was, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, shaped how you approach it now? Yeah, let me see. I, I think one of the biggest learnings I've had in the past, uh, you know, I've always been placed in positions where I've had to manage in, in the sense of, you know, 
everyone's kind of like having a good time. And then you'd always need someone to kind of corral people and move them along. I think I was always too concerned with hitting deadlines and getting work done to the point that I really didn't spend the time to enjoy the time I had with the people I worked with. I realize it's impossible to have enough time in a day to be everyone's friend, but I can at least commit to being there to help if anyone needs something. And I think, you know, that's really the big takeaway for me. What were the challenges in scaling and growing the company and the culture? Yeah, I think part of it is uh, overcommitting. It's sort of a double-edged sword of wanting to help everyone. (laughs) Uh, You just commit to things and then you realize like a week later that you may have missed something. But of course, you know, that was when it was just me running everything by myself, uh, you know, because it was me and George and uh, a couple other people for the longest time. But, you know, nowadays, you know, got a great support structure in that we have a great leadership team of people like you, Josh, and also in my department, you know, being able to delegate the core values and the culture amongst other people and making sure that that's kind of country goes down to the rest of the company. When you sit and think about the days that you were working from your dining room table, <laughs> and it was you, George, and Josh, and now, you know, in the process, you went to the bike shop, to the location in, um, in San Mateo, to our current office, right? Mm-hmm. And the growth from a couple people in a dining room table, all living together even, which is another part of the story that, that, that <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear your take on to now. Like, what are your thoughts that come to mind? Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting, right? Because it's not often that a company really takes off. But I think a lot of it is due to perseverance sticking with people that you like and that you care about and that you want to ensure that everyone is successful, right? When we're in my dining room, we sort of have this joke where I was basically everyone's mother in that that I would make sure everyone was fed. And so it was <laughs> I would cook for everyone every night. And um, yeah, I just I, I think really it's just a matter of just taking care of each other. And that's the basis for any strong relationship, you know. So you express love through food? I think a lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. So is that part of the genesis of providing lunch, providing dinner yeah, to the employees? Definitely. It started at the dining room table? 100%. I think, you know, my position has always been if I can remove any outside things that could affect you being successful in your job, that's what I do, right? So if George doesn't have to think about filing an expense report or if he doesn't have to think about having to pay this bill or whatnot, then he can focus on the strategy and the things that are important for the company. And if you hire all these people who are really great at the things that they do, let them focus on those things because that's what's going to build a great successful company. Yeah, I like it. Let's talk about COVID. If you're listening to this in the summer of 2020, you're living it, but someone may listen to this a year or two from now. How's one signal tackling COVID? Sure. Number one, safety is our number one priority. In that regard, you know, we're strictly following all the guidelines for reopening with like the CDC, California Department of Public Health, OSHA, and, you know, of course, local county guidelines. On the logistical side, you know, one signal is currently operating fully remote. We've given our employees a stipend for home office improvements, uh, gym equipment, things of that nature. All of the physical spaces in the office now have virtual equivalents. So the transition actually went pretty smoothly. Tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, But we also recently shipped everyone their own private green screen that attaches to their work chairs, along with the fashion light, you know, just to help up-level everyone's virtual background, you know, (laughs) for their online Zoom calls. I also think empathy comes back here as well. You know, everyone in our company is uniquely affected by COVID-19. You know, some may have children to take care of. Some may have to take public transit. Others may live with people in high-risk groups, you know. 
So I actually spent the last month doing shelter in place check-ins with uh, each of our 50 plus employees, just to ensure that, you know, whatever plans that we make, that we're accounting for each person's unique situation. The goal will always be safety first and the preservation of our company culture as a close second. How has onboarding changed in COVID? Because right? we, when we went into this, we were probably around 40-ish employees when you factor in kind of the FTEs plus maybe consultants. And now we're pushing 60 or maybe even in the 60s, actually, if you include those non-FTEs. Mm-hmm. And you've done a ton of onboarding, particularly on the engineering side. Yeah. How, how, how have that transition gone? And you know, how do you see that going forward in the future as we kind of have this hybrid experience? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of things that we used to rely on, you know, like the the in-person onboarding and, and things of that nature, which have been pretty ad hoc for the most part, it's really made us think about what the onboarding experience looks like, what information each person needs to, to really get to hit the ground running. And so I think for the most part, it was a lot of just really just delving down to what are the things that people need to know, um, what's it going to enable them for success, and then making a lot of virtual meetings or materials and things for them to refer to, um, like an internal wiki to get you started on certain things, to have like your sales guide for the sales team members and things like that too. Just giving them all the information that they could possibly need you know, to get started. Yeah, that's great. So last question, we'll finish it up on this one, is where do you see and what excites you or motivates you each day with one signal? Yeah, what motivates me? Uh, honestly, you know, just seeing the massive growth of the company. Like I said before, you know, most startups fail. It's a pretty rare situation when you see a company able to take off like this. I've only done this once in the past to get to this point. And so now is my opportunity just to see how far we can take it. And so I think that really is uh, what really pushes me. At the same time, also looking back on my past experiences with other startups is how do we become successful, but also preserve that culture of empathy and of mutual success for everyone. I think you know a lot of companies might fall into this trap where people just start feeling disconnected from the company, and I want to see how I can you know, prevent that from happening. Yeah. Well, Long, I really appreciate you joining the podcast. I also appreciate working with you, and thank you for... Uh, creating the company. It's been an awesome ride for two years. I, I'm excited for what's ahead. As you mentioned, the growth has been insane. And I hope to see another 10x of that so that we can look back and you know we just hit a million users. At that point, we'll have 10 million users, hopefully delivering 70 to 100 billion messages a day and doing it with you know a large scale team under the principles and, and values that you set forth. So I appreciate that. Uh, so thank you for joining. Thanks, John. So if you enjoyed listening to this, please subscribe to the One Signal Podcast at your preferred podcast directory, Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitchers, and many others. And if you want to try the One Signal product, you can always just go to onesignal.com, sign up for free. We have a great free product to drive engagement and retention of your user base. Beyond that, hope you have a great day. Stay safe, positive. Take care. Bye-bye.